Hi, it's Natalie here, sometimes guest of the Game Pit podcast. There's just a couple of things we wanted to make you aware of before we got into the episode proper. One is that we did use a tabletop mic for this recording, so the sound quality isn't what you're used to. And we wanted to let you know that we do talk extensively about Gloomhaven in this episode. And if you wanted to get your hands on the second print run, it's on Kickstarter from now until the 2nd of May. Now on to episode 82. Hello and welcome back to the Game Pit. This is episode 82. I'm Sean and we have no Ronan. He's on his travels and so by popular request we are joined by the lovely Natalie. Hello Natalie. Hello Shawnee. Popular? Yeah. Pretty much the only person we ever get asked to have back on the show. It must be my dulcet Birmingham accent that just brings all the boys to the yard. We're going straight there aren't we? <laughs> okay, never mind about the boys and especially never mind the yard. <laughs> we have a show today. We're going to be reviewing some big boy games, and I'm going to be talking about Empires of the Void and Gloomhaven, which is the big buzz of the moment. It's going to be our first sort of tentative steps into Gloomhaven. Looking forward to that. Natalie, what are you going to be bringing to the table? For the big girls' games. For the big girls' games, so my apologies. I will be having a little bit of a chat about Octo's Ice. Lovely stuff. A little bit of a filler game, but quite enjoyable. Cool. Don't give it away yet. Previewing! Wetting the appetite. God, save the gold. Wetting the appetite. Okay. Now hang on now. As always, we are very proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Go there for gaming goodness galore. And if you wish to download our episodes, we're on Podbean, iTunes and Stitcher. Okay, we're going to kick off with Empires of the Void. It is kind of topical at the moment because it's just completed its Kickstarter run for Empires of the Void 2, which is a new standalone game, which of course I back because it's Ryan Laucat. And Empires of the Void came out a little while ago and from Red Raven Games. The game was basically themed around we are young alien races who are vying for control of the galaxy after the dominant empire had started to struggle to maintain their grip. So we're, we're kind of swarming around this dying empire. How much vying is going to be the, the next big thing? So you've got a modular board and these boards depict planets, routes, obstructions, and that is changeable for each of the player counts. The players will start at their home world and will look to spread their empire across the galaxy. To do this, you'll be creating ships, you'll be forming alliances, you have to conquer worlds, and you have to improve your technology as you go. Players are going to start with a, a number of credits, which is your money, from which they will build their initial ships and tech advancements. They will also start with two diplomacy cards, and these have a dual use. I'll talk about those in a minute. Each round is going to begin with the chance, as I said, to spend your earned credits to build your ships and research technology. But then in the round, your main actions are going to be move. You can just move one ship. You can attack or go into a diplomacy so attacking you're going to attack another player or a planet if you take over a planet in this way you're conquering the planet it's going to give you everything 
but you're not going to get one ability, which is the ally ability. How do you get that ally ability? Well, that's when you're going to do some diplomacy. You're going to try and win the ally. And that, as I said, is going to give you all those resources and you're going to get that special ally ability. Now, these come in the form of ships that only you will be able to build, dice modifiers, uh, extra money and all sorts. You can also mine, which gains you a credit or do a culture action, which basically just gives you a diplomacy card, one of these very special cards I keep talking about. So what are they? They have a trait. They can be militaristic, peaceful, etc. And these traits also match up with the planets who are also of these traits. Now, they also have additional actions on the cards, which are combined with a number. So players have to have the same cards matching the number to play an additional action as stated on the card. Now, when you're doing your diplomacy and you're trying to ally with these planets, you need these cards too. You have to have at least one card matching the planet that you're trying to ally with's trait. You can add additional cards to make your dice roll easier because that's how you're going to do this. You've got to roll the dice. Now, the one card of that trait is going to mean you're going to have to get 17 with three dice. Two cards, you're going to have to get 13. Three cards, you're going to have to get eight with those three dice. And four cards, almost nailed on. you just got to get four. Well, I say almost nailed on, I probably would miss it. I mentioned technology at the top. Now, technology unlocks new ships. It's linked with planets, some of them, that you have to control a planet with a certain resource to be able to get those technology advancements. They allow you additional actions. You can build a shipyard, which allows you to build ships in somewhere that's not your home world. Some of them stack, so you have to have one to get to the other, tech tree style. And last up is the events. Every round, you're going to turn over a card, and this is marked with an event and in these events are three scoring cards which actually they're your timer for the game as well you're going to play over 11 rounds and you're going to have three scoring phases the way you're going to win the game is you're going to have the control over the planets you're going to count up any of your tech points and at the end of the 11th round the winner is decided so that's a rough overview of empires of the void now Straight out of the box, Natalie. I'm always going to be, and people are probably getting absolutely fed up of me talking about it, yes. but I'm always going to be inclined to like artwork by Ryan Laukat. Now, I'm, I'm kind of split down the middle on this one. I really like the planet artwork, but I find the actual alien races to be a bit too cartoony for, for my liking. They don't have that sort of painted feel that normally I'd agree with that has. I'd agree I think it's a mismatch of artistic styles with that particular piece there it feels a bit yeah that's that's exactly yeah I think when you get the your player board you've got this really beautiful sort of landscape scene and almost like this cartoony feel it almost feels like a yeah. space jam or something like <laughs> yeah. that you get in reverse so not his best work but i think this was one of if not his first game so i'll forgive him well i will anyway well i know you're not going to be boycotting him on the back of it because you'll buy anything <laughs> the man produces but well obviously i'm buying empires of the void too i well, kickstarted it so happy days and there is a strange one contained within this now the boards yeah I have exactly the same printing on both sides. Why? I don't know. Do we know? Do, do, the, no, I do know. our board game geeks know? 
Well, I know that in Empire of the Void too, because I'll be following that. He doesn't want to have too many races and planets because he wants you to get familiar with them. So it's you kind of get to know the different planets and what they can do for you and what they can't. So you're not constantly looking things up. So he likes to keep that condensed, which is fine. But I just didn't understand the double side. Well, if you don't want to do that, that's fine. Just print it. Print it one side and have it playing yeah, on the other side. It must side. have cost more to have it printed double. Well, maybe it didn't. Maybe it didn't. Or maybe it was a case of it didn't cost any more, so why not? In case one side got damaged, maybe. It's weird because when you play <laughs> when you play games of that particular nature and they have double-sided boards, you're expecting the other side of the board to present different options. Yeah. Even if it's just they change the values, like the planets on the boards have particular values for how much victory points they give you, Ooh. the influence over the Galactic Council. Even if it was just changing those to change up the game a little bit, I could understand. But from what I could see, they were identical. Yeah, they are. They are yeah. absolutely so, identical. Weird. Now, so we're talking sort of artwork and uh, components. Now, I'm going to say a rule book is a fairly vital component in any board game this one is atrocious you know you read it first i read it first i read it second and i still couldn't make head and the tail of it well how did you feel did, when you were trying to decipher that game i was excited about it and it kind of sapped all the good out of that first game it did i feel that good rule books tend to have some sort of summation at the end or a reference material even if it's just like a little player card which is kind of an aid the memoir and helps you kind of navigate the rule book but we were asking quite a lot of questions of each other and i read it and then you read it and you were asking me you were like oh what's this what's this i was like i don't know read the book see if you can find it there are things i mean i've done a little bit more research um there is a huge faq yeah i mean he's obviously gone listen to people and he's gone back and I'll talk about later. He's rewritten the rule book in a what? different area. No, and he's done a massive uh, FAQ. But there are, there are tokens in there that are for expansions that he had in his mind. And he hadn't really explained that. So it was confusing. Different colour ships and why and that was in his mind it was an expansion that he was going to do later and he was kind of be a bit clever by printing them before but he didn't explain that in the rule book the rule book it kind of jumped from place to place it didn't follow a cohesive timeline didn't go from one to one to one it kind of jumped from here to there then back to the start then to the it was all over the shop yeah i think there was one particular page where it was like these are the following actions and then just didn't describe the actions until yeah. the next column over. It was really confusing. Yeah, right, and in, I'm not... in the middle of the column. Not in, yeah. the, the column didn't even start with those actions. It's bad, it's bad. And he has learned because some of his more recent rule books are, are way better, very yeah. good. So, set up. We've got past the initial looks of the components. I think this is a fairly simple game to set up. I think there's a bit of jiggery-pokery going on with the cards because you have to put them in a certain order but that's no different to a lot of games that where there's like a timeline in the actual event cards yeah i think it matches the depth of the game i think Mm. the amount of setup i mean we've played it a couple of times and the second time it was it was really easy to set up it was just bang 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 Mm. and we'd set it up in sort of five to seven minutes because it you know there aren't that many components you say that player components there are no but individually yeah but if you're like us and you bag everything for players in the same bag. You just sling a bag <laughs> yeah, at someone. You're like, yeah, have yet, have that. And that's fine. You know, so the setup is quite simple. There's if a, you've bagged it properly. If you've bagged it properly, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There is a lot of cardboard. 
There's a lot of carbon. There's a lot of carbon. You've got every one of your tech advancements, and there's, there is a lot, maybe 20. There's a piece of cardboard for them. Every ship you have, and you must have at least the same amount. 20 to yeah. 30 ships. There's a piece of cardboard for that. And then I'm you've not... got your credits, and then you've got your points, the, your victory points are cardboard. So there's a lot. There's a lot of cardboard going on here, but it's all kind of easily grouped. It is, but I will say this, in that there is a lot of cardboard, and you do have your technology bits, and everyone has their own separate set, and you have this very basic tech tree. But when you've built your technology stack, you're just kind of taking them from one pile or one stack you've had set aside Mm. and just popping them on your player board. And I I feel that that's not particularly well designed. There are so many games out there that kind of when they design their player board, they think about, well, actually, when you build a ship or when you build a tech, there is a space for it or there Mm. is a space for your cards. And in this particular game, you're just kind of putting them on and they're not expensive. So you're going to get tech every round. Mm. because they're not expensive and if you play with one of the alien races you're going to get that anyway because it's minus one you kind of have to i mean we're going into the gameplay a bit because you can only get one piece of tech per round unless a a specific event says otherwise so you're going to get 11 pieces which kind of swamps your player board and your player board does have actual information on there that you need to be looking at Mm. you know it does have information of your ships and stuff so you can't i don't know it's a little niggly thing but it's something that has been considered in other games and yeah you know. So I, I think I'm going to be saying this quite a lot. During our discussion, he has addressed that. That's all right. Then. <laughs> well, it all will be revealed at the end. Is a print and play expansion? I didn't say that. <laughs> all will be revealed at the end. It has been addressed. Yes, but you're absolutely right. It does get very cluttered on your board and there's no real place for it. And I know what you are one of those people that has to have all of your ships in a nice little row and all your meeples in a nice little row and it's really funny when I when I upset that. Funny or devastating? Funny for me, devastating for you. Little bit. Yeah. Yeah. One more time I'm filing for divorce. (laughs) Some people get you mess with their rows and their they get really upset. I'm with them. Absolutely. (laughs) Don't be messing with my meeples. So we started touching on the old gameplay. I think it's once you get into the gameplay, once you actually discover what the rule book is talking about, it's actually quite a simple game. You you've only got those four main actions and Two of them are super simple. Like two of them are literally take a credit and take a card and move. It's see how much your ship can move and if there's any modifiers to that. And off you go, move your ship. And then the other actions are attack and diplomacy. And even the combat's dead simple. Yeah. Like I think the combat's super simple. Well, it is. It's just a case of roll a dice per ship, possibly two dice per ship for some of the larger ships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 We know, we know I attacked you, you didn't like it. We'll get to that. And each ship has an initiative value. So basically, for instance, my diplomat might be taking on Natalie's centipede. Now, the centipede operates before the diplomat. So she would roll a dice and she would hit on a five, I believe it is, for a centipede. I think so. And the diplomat, which is a weaker ship, but it's the only one you can do your diplomatic missions with, that hits on a six. So, obviously, the diplomat is weaker. Natalie will get a chance to destroy my ship before I even get to shoot. So, if she, as she rolled in our last game, rolls a one pretty much every single time, I will probably destroy her on my next roll. (laughs) 
Yeah, we need to have a little chat about that. It was kind of role reversal. It was. So I think you've sacrificed something. You've prayed to some dark demigod. Ryan understands me. Something's happened because the dice rolling was all messed up. It's a Laocat game. He understands me. I didn't see a six more than once. He gave me special dice. Would you, would you like me to step aside? I think you should. Okay. I think you should. And everything is super simple. Even trying to win the ally of the of the nations is, is super simple. You're just rolling three dice and adding cards to that roll to make the, the result easier. So the game gets off to a slow start, Natalie. Would you agree? You're kind of doing the same things. Yeah. That's the nature of games in general, isn't it? In, yeah. You know, that's kind of what happens. You get off to a slow start and then yeah, before you know it, you're four. just like... Oh, I'm doing yeah. quite a lot this time. Especially like with a 4X game where you, you are starting in your home world and yeah. you're starting to explore out and you're building up your, your resources and your fleet. You, you are limited to what you can do. Now, we've talked about conquering a planet and we've talked about going on a diplomatic envoy to the planet and trying to ally yourself with the planet. In my reckoning, at least for the first half of the game, it doesn't seem... To me, there'd be much point really in conquering a planet until other players hold them. You're going to get that extra resource, and it is quite handy. Like, get those extra ships, and they can be quite cheap to build. Only you can have them, and they're, they're usually quite specialised ships. So they're either really super fast, or they can do a lot of damage, that kind of thing. So it always felt to me like first half of the game you were just pretty much trying to ally with yourself with as many planets as possible i don't think that there was a decision to be made between conquering and diplomacy when there are still planets that haven't been taken because you know the first route you get more with diplomacy than you do with conquering so of course that's where you're going to go first yeah i think and it's only when all of the planets are taken and it's the only way you're going to get other planets and change the yeah. Galactic Council influence you're going to start to conquer. I just don't think that that was necessarily a good decision to have. Unless there's a event card or something says that you stop being an ally to the planet, then once you're allied, you are the only person that can be allied to that because you cannot be removed as an ally. Someone can come and conquer the world, but as soon as it's liberated, then you are again allied to the planet. That felt a little bit ill thought thought out to me as a mechanic it felt like you kind of had to you had to make as much alliances as possible and then the second half of the game was basically going around and trying to stomp on other people's planets yeah i don't think as a if you will a narrative flow that that kind of made any sense i think conquering is a lot easier you're not wasting a load of cards to conquer so it's it's easier to do you're just going in there especially if it's a uninhabited planet you just you've just got to hit and make one hit and you conquer that planet if it's somebody else's planet later on and it's undefended you've literally just got to spend an action so conquering is a lot easier and it's a lot resource friendly than allying and trying to build relationships with these planets but you're kind of leaving the door open if you visit a planet and you conquer it you've got to defend that with tooth and nail or someone will come and liberate it and to liberate somebody else's planet makes it even easier to ally because you've only got to spend one card and you automatically become their ally so you kind of you kind of forced i think to to go on those diplomatic missions yeah. rather than those military missions first off. But doesn't that mean that, you know, when you, you've just mentioned that if someone's conquered a planet and you go and liberate it, you then ally, that that just doesn't happen because 
as in our game, we didn't conquer a planet straight up. We went and allied with everything, and therefore everything has been allied with. Yeah. So you're not then going to use that. Well, I, you're not going to liberate a planet from me because I haven't conquered anything straight up. I've just allied with them. There's an action that just doesn't get used. I don't know if there are people out there that will just go for the conquer tactic and whether it works or not. But again, I'll come back to it. There are things that have changed in this print-and-play expansion that I'll talk about at the end that have made conquering more alluring and more enticing, let's put put it that way. So I think maybe that was a problem that they noticed in the game. Now, definitely, it's a quick game. I think once you know the game, I don't think it's far wrong to say about 30 minutes per player. So, obviously, the two-player, as we've played a couple of times, I've played off three-player once. I think, yeah, the two-player was definitely, we were getting it down towards an hour after a few plays. And I think the three-player probably went up to sort of hour 45, maybe an hour 50, but that was because two of the people hadn't played. So that, that's a plus for me. I think it does play very quickly. Uh, it really doesn't outstay its welcome for me. Hmm. I know, okay. <laughs> so, well, spoilers, you're not the biggest fan of it. I'm not the biggest fan of it, no. Well, okay, so what, what don't you like about it? What don't I like about it? I have my notes. Oh, here we go. We may be here for some time. Just a few things. For me, because I'm not, you know, I'm not a particularly huge fan of these kind of fighty-fighty things, because the board that you have is, yes, it's a modular board, but it's not terribly big. So in the first, I would say, sort of six rounds or so, yeah, you're off and you're exploring and you're building up your little chips and this and that. But then you've really got no choice but to kind of start attacking each other. And you don't like that. And I, oh, I hate it. Just leave me alone. (laughs) It's why I like Euros. It's why I love Euros. You just sit there, you move your little workers around. It's fantastic. But I don't, I don't like being attacked. But even given that, in a two-player game, if you've got someone like me who doesn't really play those games quite often or at all, if I can help it, up against someone who is more experienced, you're going to get rinsed. And not only that, you're going to hit round six out of the 11 and realise that mm. you're you're done. It's not really, not even like getting more experienced at this game. It's just you don't like combative games. No. So you don't see the little traps and the little tit-for-tat stuff that people that would play sort of two and three player mm. combative games you just don't pick those up but by the time i do kind of i'm yeah a little bit slow on the uptake but by the two time i do there's no comeback for so me you're slow on the uptake, you just don't want to do it no but that's not even the point by the time i get and think oh well actually i should probably be doing some of this stuff now there's no comeback for me there's no in a two-player game if you've hit round six as I did, mm. and I knew the game was done. There was literally no point, and it was just going by rope then, yeah. and it was deeply unenjoyable for those last five rounds. Mm. Yeah, they didn't last very long, but at the same time, it's like, why do I want to be going through the motions when I know yeah. you've got it sewn up? Right, okay, I'm going to try and move us on a little bit, because we're, we're actually talked quite a long time about this game. I didn't <laughs> think it'd be so long. So, effectively, what is it? it- isn't an economic game there is an economic sort of lot to it you've got the tech tree and you are buying ships and you are buying techs and techs unlock other things so you've got that a little bit but that isn't what this game's about this game is a straight up battle it's a skirmish game in space 
where you're literally, yeah, you might start off all friendly allying to these planets, but then you're smashing into each other and you're going hell for leather. You're trying to wipe out the other people. Second point is you went on quite quite extensively about a two-player game. It's not a two-player game, in my opinion. I think, having played it three-player, I wouldn't play it two players again because two players is it's two tit for tat. Every round, if somebody takes one of your planets, you take one of theirs back, and it's just back and forth. And someone at some stage will just stick their nose ahead. Someone won't manage to conquer a planet off somebody else, and then all of a sudden, that person's just got their nose in front. It's, it's two. It's just two tit for tat. It's two zero sum. Three players is good. Four players, I would imagine, is excellent because that's when the negotiation comes in that's when the deals come in listen i'm getting i'm getting rinsed on this round like i need i need some help because that person's running away with it okay let's concentrate on their planets and people get a breather and i think you lose so much within the negotiation and the tactics of the game not playing it three and four player. So that's why I would say it is not a two player game and it's certainly not an economic game. So Natalie, I'm going to be talking about the print and play expansion after we do our roundups because I would definitely want, we're reviewing this game, not this game with the expansion. So what are your thoughts on Empire of the Void? My thoughts are very obviously it is a first game. I think it's deeply flawed and I think that's in evidence by the fact that they've had to produce a print and play expansion to fix everything that was wrong with the game. It's not something that I enjoyed, not necessarily just because it was combative, but it just, there was too many things wrong with it. Oh, tough old crowd. Tough old crowd. Maybe I'm just jealous of Ryan. (laughs) I didn't think you'd enjoy this. Because, I did Because <laughs> no, no. it, it is too fighty and there's not a lot of other avenues to get out of it. You can't just go and hide in the corner as you like to do. So, yeah, for me, I think it's a strong game. I think it is enjoyable. It's not a two-player game, as I said. I think with three and four players, I think it kind of comes into its own. But there are annoying bits. The events, for instance. The events can target somebody who's on a planet and say, right, you've lost that planet. Or whoever's on that planet at the end of the round is going to get smashed by pirates or, or something. So it can be very unfair. It can, it, the balancing isn't great unless you've got those additional players and they will balance the game for you. I think it's a lot of fun to play if you come in with your eyes open. Don't come in thinking it's a Euro game. It's not. It's just a, a straight-up fist fight in space. But every game should be a Euro game, surely. <laughs> every game should be a Euro game. Well, in your opinion, my dear. <laughs> so, okay, so I kept I keep going on about this expansion. Right? It's called Key to the Universe. It's a, a print-and-play expansion, as I said, available at Red Raven Games on their website. Now, what does it do? It takes away all those tech tree tokens. Right? Uh, yes. You said Ronan there. Natalie. Oh my god. Oh no, so that is divorce. Oh my god. That is divorce, right? Okay. My legs are longer for a start. Now <laughs> oh, he's not here to defend himself. Leave that poor little flower alone. <laughs> so it takes flower. away the tech tree and it adds sheets with tech trees on there. And it adds additional techs in there, so it's a lot easier to keep track and you don't have to be moving tokens from one side of the table to another. It removes some of those unbalanced events I just talked about. It improves the rule book. Apparently it's not perfect, 
Oh, well, it doesn't appear to be perfect, but it's still much better. You've got more actions. Now, you have an enslave action, which is going to give you additional income from conquered planets. All of a sudden... There you ah, go. There you go. There you go. Yeah, that's why I want to do that. So if I enslave those conquered planets, I'm going to get a lot more money. Excellent. But then I'm a slaver. But then you're a slaver. Smuggle. You can have a little cheeky tech from a planet with a diplomat ship on it. You can go to the council and buy ambassadors, which are going to help your diplomatic roles. You can buy photon bombs, which are going to help you with your conquering. You've got a repair bay, which helps you fix damaged ships for half price. You have new races out there. We didn't really talk about the races. They're not. They're kind of different, but not massive differences, which I kind of like. Keeps it simple. You've got an objective board, which gives objectives that everybody can achieve. So you can try and get these little objectives to give you more points. I believe it makes the game a little bit longer, but it fixes pretty much every problem I have with the game, or at least it threatens to. Does it turn it into a Euro? No, it doesn't. Well then. Gives you more actions. I know you like an action. <laughs> I do like an action. <laughs> <laughs> okay, listen, we've talked about this one far too long. Let's go on to something nice and simple and quick. Octo Dice, Natalie. It's a nice little filler. So Octo Dice is from AEG and Pegasus Spiel and it's designed by Christophe Toussaint and it is based on the incredibly popular Aquasphere. Which oh, what is... an Aquasphere. You can't, can't say Aquasphere without singing the Aquasphere song. I love a party with a happy Aquasphere. Are you okay over there? Oh, won't you take me there? Okay, sorry. I'm yeah, not... people aren't tuning in for this, don't <laughs> no, they're tuning out in their droves. Absolutely. Anyway, Octodice is based on Aquasphere. Don't do it. Can't say Don't it. do it. He's just going to hump Aquasphere in the corner and I'm going to gag him. Anyway, and what you have, you get like a little player board and you're going to mark off things that you managed to do with your set of dice. I'll go to that in a minute and that will give you points and you'll total up the points at the end. So it's dice rolling and set collection. You will roll six dice every turn. There'll be three white and three black and they will have different faces on and you will match them numbers and colours with your actions to try and get points and the actions fairly faithfully replicate those in Aquasphere so you've got a crystal action you've got a submarine action you've got a fighting octopod action you've got a lab action you've got a programming robot action and one more action that I've forgotten well done I'm awesome. I'm a professional. Hey. <laughs> what you do is you roll your six dice. You'll pick one white and one black to go together, which will allow you to mark off one of the options on your player board. And it will give you points. And you work your way down. It's six rounds. And you'll take it in turns, obviously. And on someone else's go, you can get an additional action by taking any two of their dice. It doesn't have to be two that they've paired together. They can roll their six dice and you'll just say, well, I want this one and this one. And it doesn't have to be anything like what they paired together. And that will get you extra points. And then at the end of this very quick game, it's like 15 to 30 minutes if that, you will total everything up and obviously the person with the most points is the winner. You still do have to keep an eye on your octopods. So as you know, with Aquasphere, don't do it. Stop saying it. Just say the foul game underwater. No, that's not its name. What's its name? Aquasphere. Oh, what an aquasphere. You know in Cabaret? I might be. I do know. In any case, you still have to keep an eye on those octopods and you still have to be fighting them because if you don't, you are going to get minus points. So, I like this game. (laughs) Will you stop giving it away? I'm sorry. God, build the suspense. Oh, okay. God. 
I'm sorry. It's a filler game. It's a quick game. There's a limited amount we're going to say. Is it a Euro game? Based on a Euro game. <laughs> it's Yahtzee, basically, isn't it? Yeah, but... Yahtzee with Feldian overtones. Yeah. Cults. Still got the same iconography. I think it captures the original game very well. Do you think? I do. I don't think it does at all. Really? Because no. like, you still... With this one, you still can't do everything that you wanted to do, which is the same with the Underwater Feld game. Yeah, which is fine, but that could be that could be anything. There's loads of games you can't no, do anything. No, I think the to. underwater Feld game yeah. is very specifically based upon the fact that you are not going to get to do everything, and you want to do everything because if you're a little bit perfectionist, so you want to make sure that you build everything. Yeah. And I think it captures that. The lab actions don't get you any points straight up. You have to wait till the game to get your points for the lab action but at the end. With the game it's based on, each individual thing is achievable. If you decide I'm going for that, you can do it, but it's just you can't get round to everything. This, if you don't roll the dice, you may never be able to. It might be just a case that you don't roll that dice, no, no, so you just can't get to because it. Because you've got certain lab bits. If that's what you really wanted to do, once you move down your lab tree, you can get to places where you can start you doing dice roll, Yeah, but you have to roll the dice to get to them. Yeah, if but those are that, easy. Those are really, because they're on the first level. So you only have to roll, like, a zero. Yeah, they don't make that much. Listen, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm sounding like I don't like this. It is a very quick and easy game to get into. It has the, the same iconography as the Feld game. It has up to pods, and I think it's it's Aquasphere. Oh, uh, in name and icon only. I'm not necessarily saying it's a bad game for that. I just don't think it makes me particularly think of that game, but for the iconography. Okay. The cracks were appearing in what was once a steady marriage, because honestly, I think it really captures the game quite well. I think, yeah, the iconography helps a lot, obviously, but it does have that where you can't get round to everything. You do have to concentrate on something, some things, and then you're still scrambling to try and get that octopod stuffed so that you don't get burned. Yeah, the octopods I'll give you because you do have to clean them out and if you don't, you're going to get punished. (laughs) And I like it because it's, you know, I don't, and I know I, every time I come on this show, I harp on about it, and I'm really sorry for it, but I don't get to play a lot of games that aren't two-player. You know, so when we find one that is a decent two-player game that's quite quick, it fills in a little gap, yeah. I'm all for it. Yeah, I think possibly the most important mechanic in this game is that following mechanic. Yeah. I think it's good and bad. Now, it's good and it's very important because it keeps you interested in what everyone else is doing. If that wasn't there, you wouldn't give a bum (laughs) (laughs) what anybody was doing. So our dear listeners should know that he mouthed quite a few profanities then before settling on one. No, 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 I didn't. We don't do things like that. And if that wasn't there, I couldn't care less what you roll, because you roll what you roll. doesn't affect me. Now, all of a sudden, when you're rolling, I'm thinking, right, okay, got to watch this, because I want to get something good out of this. And even when you're rolling, it's kind of that push-your-luck thing. Do you take what's on offer the first time, or do you wait for the person to roll again? And you can just say, you know what, I don't like anything you rolled, and you have one roll of all the dice yourself. That's only in a two-player game. That's in a two-player game. So yeah, that that keeps interesting. I think it's bad, because... It usually is fairly obvious. Both people will jump at that one. Oh, that's the one I want. And you kind of end up following the same path. 
You don't really branch out because of that. You follow down the same thing. But how much are you expecting for a filler game? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're not going to have that many paths to go down in any case. So it's not an in-depth, Which, oh, this route to victory thing. But I think, no, but I think there are paths, but you are completely at the mercy of the dice. And not only what you're rolling, but what other people are rolling. Yes, but again, what like what do you want from a filler game that's going to last 15 minutes and is played on a small sheet of paper with six dice? Like, you're not going to get the complexity and depth that I think you're looking for in this. That's what fillers do. Yeah, it's I... very rare to get a filler that, like, makes you make hard choices or Again, gives you an, op- an opportunity to yeah. follow different paths. Again, I'm sounding quite critical of this, and I, I really it's because don't I mean love it. to. Because I was <laughs> critical of your last one. I enjoy playing this. It is a lot of fun to play because I'll always enjoy rolling dice. I'll always enjoy Yahtzee-style games. And this is, it's fine, but let's not build it up to be something more than it is. It's just a fun, fairly luck-driven Well, I are building a shrine to it, but I didn't quite like it. <laughs> if I'm going to go for a Yahtzee-style game as my go-to Yahtzee-style game... Oh, here we go. I'm going to go... You don't pretend you don't enjoy this game. I'm going to go to to Court the King every single time. And, yeah, this one, it's got its place because it plays very, very quickly. But Court the King will be my Yahtzee-style filler game of choice. Go and get it. It's in the garage. Okay, I'm off. (laughs) I'll take over the rest. Right, so go on in. Final thoughts. My final thoughts on Up to Dice is that it's an enjoyable two-player filler that I feel personally encapsulates Aquasphere. Don't do it quite well. Oh, what an Aquasphere! I wouldn't even mind, but it's atmosphere. Obviously. Yeah, but... That's why it's so hilarious. It's not so hilarious. Go on, get on with it. So, yes, and it's quite enjoyable. And I think, you know, if you haven't, pick it up. Give it a whirl. I would not say against that. I would say, yeah, give it a go. And now we are on to the game of the moment. It's just come out Kickstarter. We'll start delivering from Kickstarter. I've got it. Everyone in the world seems to want it. I suppose it's vying with Terraforming Mars for the biggest buzz of the year. And last year combined, it's Gloomhaven. It comes from Cephalophare games isaac childress is the designer plays wonderful players and let's not even go into the time because it is completely varied okay so the game is set in the city of gloomhaven and the surrounding area and players are going to take on the role of adventurers completing missions to win fortune and fame and you're also trying to complete your own personal mission the game has legacy elements and your options change with the choices that you make the world available places reputation etc all change now bear with me while i try and explain what's going on with gloomhaven so before each scenario you're going to get to buy and sell equipment you are going to Choose your action cards. Now, these are the crux of the game, in my opinion, so I'm going to explain those later. You're also going to look at your scenario objective. Each scenario, you're just going to get a minor objective. Try and achieve. If you do achieve, you're going to get upgrades. You can select a city event card. It's your choice if you're in the city. But if you are traveling, you must select a road event and the whole party must choose, uh, make a choice depending on what happens on that road event. Then you get into the scenario. It's a modular board. Only rooms that are opened uh, will be set up with items and enemies and to see what lies beyond those doors, you must open them. Player actions are driven 
by their hand of action cards. There's those action cards again. You have to choose an initiative number on one of your two cards that you've decided to choose. And that is going to stipulate what order you go in. So you've got yourself, the any other members of the party, you've got the various different enemies in the room, and they will all have an initiative number because they're going to flip over a card too. That card also sets out their modifiers for the for the round, so it might give them additional attacks or additional movement, etc. Then each card has a top action and a bottom action on it. You must select one top action of one card and the bottom action of the other card. On the cards, your basic stuff is move, attack, heal, you can loot, but there's lots of modifications of that. So you might attack multiple enemies, you might jump over something and attack someone, loads of stuff. When you use these cards, some of them will be just discarded and they can be used again in the scenario that you're in. But some of them are just out of the scenario. They are, they are lost to you until you go on to a new scenario or restart this one if you fail. And that depends on what action you choose. Essentially what you're going to be doing is moving through the areas and fighting. Now fighting is done with the action on your card choice which will give you a damage number so you might say you attack for three then you have a deck of battle modifier cards there's 20 of those and you are going to turn over one of these now these can be plus one to your attack minus one no effect at all double damage and the enemies also will have a similar deck when they're attacking you you also use your equipment to aid you here too damage is taken either as a straight up hit point loss or you can choose to scrap an action card or cards instead of taking those hit points damage so essentially your action cards also act as your health in the scenario because a character can be eliminated from the scenario if their hit points are zero or if they are not able to take a full go or a rest action on their go resting just mention that that brings all your discarded action cards back into your hand minus one which must be trashed again out of the scenario and you have a, a short rest and a long rest short rest basically doesn't really do anything gives you your cards back but you lose a random card the long rest you choose the card that you lose you gain two hit points and your equipment that can be used again is turned upright again you can use that there's also an elemental infusion track and that allows use of elements to boost your action so one player might set up the element infusion track and another player might be able to use that element to boost their action and that's what's ha roughly what's happening within a scenario when you complete a scenario you're going to get money experience points you are going to unlock new locations and potentially unlock new items now every character has a personal mission as i said at the very top of this and if you achieve that your character retires and you unlock a new type of character, race, and class. You can level up in the game. That gives you upgrades. You can change up your attack modifier deck. You can add new abilities. You can change your action cards, bring in new, more powerful ones. And as Gloomhaven's reputation begins to rise through, through your acts, uh, new items appear in the shops. 
that your party reputation goes up and it makes items cheaper if it goes down they become more expensive and the world changes along with you and that can make events and scenarios play out slightly differently now i've crammed a lot in there and there's a lot more yet to come this is a big old beast of a game natalie ain't it just oh it's a beast oh isn't there a lot of things oh let's talk about that box wow that is a box that's a that's a box that falls apart sorry no, you've, you've touched on the source I've, I've touched on a, a uh, we've already talked a little chuckle at my uh clown car box it's like i was told him basically it was like one of those clown cars yeah. you see in the circus that the sides just fall flat and the, the clown's just left sitting there with a steering wheel and nothing else. That's kind of like what That's that pretty is. much what's happened. Yeah, I took the lid off and literally it just fell flat. It's not fit for purpose, that box. No. It really isn't. And I don't know what that would be fit for purpose. Yeah, maybe some sort of steel vault or something. Something sturdier than what you got. Maybe like the War of the Ring box. No, I was just thinking the Lord of the Ring box is beautiful. Wish we yeah, could talk I, about I just that. got the anniversary edition of the War of the Ring. I'm not even mad that you spent that kind of money no, on that because it it's beautiful. It is beautiful. But that's not Gloomhaven, so we'll no. talk about that <laughs> yeah, <today. laughs> Anyway, I, tempted, I did that with Gloomhaven. I started boasting about that. i really got to stop doing that. People are going to hate me. Um, right, so, box is terrible. There is a hell of a lot of cardboard in this game. Now, we talked in Empires of the Void, there was a lot of cardboard. Or I did. You kind of thought there wasn't that much. No. Now, this one. Like, and this is coming from someone who owns Feast for Odin. It makes Feast for Odin look like a toddler next to it i know there is so much stuff but it hurts setup it does I think. there's too much like for every setup you've got to go in and, and find the villains that you're fighting for that scenario now there is i can't i can't remember the exact number but there is in excess of i think it's way in excess of 40 there might be like up in the Must 50s be. or 60s because there is an obscene amount of creatures and beasts and weird and wonderful things that attack you in this game i've never seen a, a variety like it yeah there is a lot i'm not sure if we play more and it'll be like oh okay yeah i see why there's that many actually no, i think that's excellent because it's just the longevity but for setup if you're just going to concentrate on setup it's terrible because like a lot of the tokens look a little bit well, like, like each it other. took us the first game we played i'm not kidding it took us about four hours to play the first scenario and two and a half of that was setup and rule Setup, yeah, you're finding each individual token. Now, it, it might not be that there is that many tokens on the board. Like certainly the first two or three scenarios, you're only looking for a few traps and there's maybe four or five different types of creature that you fight. And So it's not that bad. Especially because those are the first scenarios you're not au fait with what you're doing. So the first scenario, you really are just literally don't know what I'm doing, don't know what's going on. I imagine as you go through, it's like, yeah, bang, 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 and that's fine. But at the very beginning that amount of stuff just does be quite daunting it's definitely daunting and although it all makes sense i think actually learning the game is quite daunting yeah. the rule book is, is fabulous there's so much going on but a lot of the stuff that's going on is kind of fluff around so you've got the sort of the, the scenario which is obviously the main part of the game but all your leveling up and you're traveling you're choosing where to go and that's all kind of fluff around it and it's excellent because it's 
It's what a lot of people, including me, have been waiting for, that kind of sort of role-play feel to a game. Just going back to the components, a couple of issues. The character hit point and experience point tracking... Painful. That is, it's already we've played it sort of four, four or five times, and it's already not holding the things properly. No. It is is a really poor design. I don't know why you couldn't have just had like a little square hole in the thing, and then a square peg just to put in it for each level. But I don't know why you couldn't just like every other game in the known multiverse has little tokens to track your XP and you. You know, I like that. No, I like that he's tried to give you a little track, but that sort of wobbly line thing that he's gone for, it just, no, it doesn't work. You could use a track like you do in Arkham Horror. Yeah. In Arkham Horror, you've got a track where you've got your sliders. Mm. You could have sliders. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it was a cost thing. I don't know. But didn't like particularly like that. Now, the look of the cards, while functional, very functional, like you don't have any problems deciphering exactly what that card does, which is the is the main thing. I'm just being a little bit finickety here. It, it's not very artistic. It's very clean and crisp and clinical. Yeah, it's three C's for you. Well, you just want art all over the shop. You. I, do, the I do. And I don't think that that's necessarily a downfall for this particular game because those cards are the backbone of this game. They are, but right? could it not have and a so, little bit of frills? Well, why? No, because you've got frills everywhere else. You've got the decent miniatures, cardboard That's if you have the miniature version. Oh, did the we, did we upgrade? Oh, yeah. Oh, baby. Anyway, you've got the art on the the player boards is is nice. You know, the the drawings of the monsters and the beasties are cool. To then kind of just turn your nose up at the cards. And the thing is, they have to be functional because they have to convey a lot of information. Because you don't just have one action on your action cards. You have two. Mm. And those actions can be convoluted. Make those busier mm-hmm. with art would just be like, mm, what's No, no, I get that you can't have an actual picture because you just wouldn't have the space for the words. But, like, just not straight, clean, crisp lines. I mean, ultra picture. really are. So let's get on to the crux of the game. The gameplay and... Let's talk about scenarios. Now, yes, let's. the base of this game is a fairly straightforward dungeon crawler. You've got... You're sort of moving, you've got your picking up loot, you've got your fighting range. There's nothing particularly new in what you're doing on the board. You're moving around, you're unlocking rooms, nothing massively new there. Where this game comes into its own is those action cards. Yeah. I think those action cards are just a fantastically well bought out mechanism in this game and... It just works so well just by having those cards with those two choices and the choices that surround those cards. It is complete and a game for me. Everything else, as I said, is fluff. So you're picking your card first. What order do you want to go in? So I've got something that's really going to help if I can go first. But do I risk maybe not having... A really low number and risk not going first to get the better actions but actions that complement each other or do i sacrifice one to get a really low number to make sure that i go first with that one action that's your first choice then then you're moving on to well hang on okay so 
We've seen what order the creatures are going to go in now. We've seen what order my fellow Dungeoneers are going in. Now, how do I make the best use of what I'm going to do? Like, I've got four actions now. And I can only choose two, and I've got to choose them in a certain order. So do I go for like, the bottom action on this card first, or the top action on that card first, or vice versa? And then on top of that, your other choices, some of the cards you're going to lose forever, and that is going to affect your life. So, like, do I really want to go and have use this big hitting card, early doors, to give myself a good start in the round? Or do I save it because I'm, there's going to be an end of level boss? Just in those cards, you've got so many choices. Sorry, I've been r rambling along there, Natalie. I absolutely agree. And I think it's really interesting because in Dungeon Crawler, sometimes it can feel like you're just going through the motions and you're not really necessarily put to, to any decisions that impact the entirety of the game or what have you. Whereas with these action cards, you really are. You do have to make your decisions and you have to be very careful about what you're doing. Now, I'm going to hold my hand up and I never, ever look at the initiative. <laughs> it's probably why we lost, but I don't. Because the way the cards are matched and the way I play my particular characters, the ones that are really good, the actions that are going to do you the most damage or they are going to heal the most people with, with the largest range in your party and do the most good, normally those actions are one use only and you have to discard the card at the end it's no longer open to you so to me it doesn't matter if that's a low initiative because i'm not using that sucker until i'm getting towards the end right so that's an interesting decision that i make and what i particularly like about the action cards is with this full rest scenario and you have to lose a card it actually simulates you're just getting tired you're getting more exhausted moving through the dungeon because you're doing these battle with these creatures and you don't have so much power left to do this and that and i really like the whole feel of that and it's you know okay it's not realistic because we are not actually battling in a dungeon but you know it's you are getting exhausted you do have less options now to be hitting at people because you've had to sacrifice something to get you through and to rejuvenate your deck so that you can go on and fight more and i love that bit i didn't when we first played it i got really high rate <laughs> i was just like oh, i don't want to throw this away but the more i think about it the more i'm just like no that's a really cool mechanism because you have really interesting decisions to make and you're not just rolling dice and you're not just throwing down a card because you know you're going to get it back. You have to actually make those active choices. Is it good enough to play this one-off card this one time at this point when I don't know what's beyond the next door? Mm, it's, it's and it's fantastic. clever, clever design. And even just putting together your cards at the beginning. So your very first game, they'll say to you, because you've got level one cards, and then as you level up, you can get access to level two cards. But there are also cards marked X. Now, these cards are available to you from the very beginning, but they suggest your first go, you just go with your level one cards. But these are more interested and more tailored to certain things. So even before you start, you, those action cards are giving you a decision to make what one of those X cards, if any, do I put in? And what do I take out? Even that is just agonising. Well, like, how oh, long did we spend on that one tonight when like we put the Xs in? 10, like, 15 minutes. Like, just, and you've there. only got three X cards. Yeah. Like, you've only got three X cards to swap out. And you're sitting there, like, fully having 
existential crisis over mm. what you're going to take out and what you're going to put in. In our campaign that we're going through, I'm, badly. I'm the we're going through badly. badly. <laughs> um, I'm the brute and you're the tinkerer. tinkerer. So the tinker is a little bit of a yeah, not really a magician, but they're kind of wily. Steampunkish. They, yeah, well. yeah. They kind of they kind of know their way around like a trap and yeah. stuff like that, and healing and herbology or whatever. You just like to hit things. I like to hit things. I'm, I, every game I've ever played that there is a brute or a or someone that's just going to go head first and take on things, fight. I'll always do that first because I just love to just get involved. And then I'll take the more interesting characters and see what they do. So there are other cards. Now, I don't think you got on as well as I did. I think the lack of dice for a start. Oh, man. He's been replaced by those uh, hit modifier cards. I think they're fantastic for this reason. You know what the possibilities are. You know that there is one card in there that's going to allow you to do no damage and then that's going to be shuffled back into the deck. You know that there's a card in there that's going to do double damage and that's going to be shuffled into the deck and that's when your deck gets shuffled up. But other than that, you're either going to get minus one, plus one, no change, or I think there's a plus two in there as well. So you can't, you know what's what's coming. It's not going to affect you massively unless you're absolutely ridiculously unlucky <laughs> natalie's got a hand up and because she had a, the last game we played it was brutal two nights ago yeah where it you was literally pulled uh, i was uh, i was going to step fire to the box yeah you you weren't happy i was not happy buddy. but you know what you're going to get to a degree and there's, there's me never... yeah i'm going to get those ones that cancel out all my damage yeah you're going to those gonna are the ones those. i'm going to get so and i quite like that because with a dice you've always got that chance of failure you've always got that chance of a definite success well, this one it kind of just minimizes it a little bit you've still got the random in there but it's not overwhelming you know i think with a game that already has so many components and so many cards it was just needless just have a dice just have some dice <laughs> no seriously it's, it's a serious consideration because it's a beautiful game and your character you don't know what characters you're really going to get you get to choose like one of six icons and you pick out your icon and you open it and in it you've got your character but you don't know anything until you open your envelope with your character in and there's what 20 or so of them you've got a choice of six yeah i know but there's beginning. but in every box there will have these pack of cards you will have these modifiers oh and yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah until, but, until you, know, you open the box at you don't some know exactly point what at do some there. point you have to think well okay we're killing trees for no good reason right now you know and i'm being flippant but there are certain things like these cards that you could have just had with dice and i don't understand why you've got cards because it's not just us that have these attack modifier cards it's all of the beasties that have attack modifier cards on the last scenario we played we had five beasties come out to us because we were rubbish just have some dice just sim where you can simplify it because it is already a complicated component heavy game that's my argument yeah, if you've got a lot of different types of creatures yeah and you've got a card for each of them the the upkeep does come a bit much you're going i'll flip one for that card one for that okay so there you go you go first uh, this one goes second this one goes third i go fourth then that one goes fifth that one goes sixth then that one goes <laughs> so yeah it does get a little bit upkeepy and a little bit much to keep track of everything and the order they go in and and each one of them's got a modifier now talking of that modifier natalie i love the variety not only in the different 
creatures that you fight, but the variety in themselves. So you might be fighting, I don't know, bandit archers, and all of a sudden, like, they'll flip a card and their range will be extended this round, but they they won't be as tough, but they'll be they'll hit you a lot easier. You can't really escape them. Next one, their movement is going to be better, so they can get into position to shoot you better, but something else might be on the wane. Then their damage might be increased, and and some of the creatures do do much much more interesting things. And on top of that, you've got the bosses, and they add another level of invention. So you you never feel like you're you're just fighting mindless drones. It feels like you're actually fighting something that's alive and with you in the room. I mean, yeah, but I'm I'm going on to a different part completely yeah. now. So and I'm not talking about their attack modifier card. I'm just talking about their uh, the, the modifiers that change their behaviour. I know I like around. those. I think they're good. Yeah. Because they lend again, as you say, it's something different and it's... And the thing about those modifiers, I think, is that you're equally going to have things that go in your favour as against you. So many a time we've kind of turned over a card and it's been, well, their attack is minus one. And then you've got a shield and their attack was only two anyway, so it's like golden. Yeah, unless they pulled out that double Oh, double don't even. Don't even. <laughs> they feel real. They feel like they've got a mind of their own and they feel like they're constantly changing up and you're constantly having to adapt to the way they are. I think the scenarios as well, Natalie, I think the scenarios are quite well thought out. I think things appearing out of doors and obstacles and traps, they're not overwhelming, but they just they kind of funnel you in certain directions and you have to be very clever to think your way around them. You can pull creatures into traps because one of the actions you can do on some of your actions is push and pull. So if there are traps there, do you manoeuvre them into certain areas so that when you do do that action, then you can pull them into the trap and they set off the trap rather than you having to settle constantly avoiding it? I like it. I think the scenarios are very cleverly set up. I do. However. Oh, however. However. Don't like it. Don't be mean to my Gloomhaven. I know. I, I feel like we're on the precipice of something here right now. However, I think the first few campaigns that we have played have been too difficult for starting campaigns we are going at to get the beginning, on to yes, okay, at the beginning yeah. of a legacy game. I just think to get you into the game, to get you used to the rules and the way things go, especially when it is designed to be such you know, a game that you are going to be playing for years because there are so many scenarios. There are like, a, like what, a hundred scenarios? Mm-hmm. And I have no doubt they'll release more. Oh, they know this. Do you know what I mean? Like, this this, this game is going to run. It wouldn't be costing them anything to have, say, you know, the first two or three scenarios be a little bit easier. Just so you get used to it. You get used to playing the tactics. You get used to how the game works. You get used to how the modifiers work because I found the first few ones too difficult. We did play awfully. To be fair, we didn't play on the lowest level. Why didn't we play on the lowest level, Shawnee? Because I thought we were level one, so we might as well play at level one now. Don't do that, Shawnee. <laughs> no, this, a lot of people are saying that. I listened uh, to Mr. Vassal on the Dice Tower podcast the other day, and he was like, this is one of the toughest games. Like, he like literally, don't play on level one, play on level zero until you get way good at it. We've done okay. We've we've come a cropper a couple of times. We've we've succeeded a couple of times. I have a motion to put to the floor that is from now on. Can we play on level zero, please? 
Oh my word! I think we we got last time we played it. We, we were poor. We, we, we were poor. We were tired, and we weren't really communicating. Now you can't communicate exactly. You can't convey exactly what you were about to do to each other, but you can kind of be vague. Like you might want to take a step to the left here because I'm gonna do something that's gonna blow up the right. Or if you let me go first, I've got something that I can do that's gonna help the party. That kind of stuff. You can't say I. You've got an area blast that's going to affect this, this, and this square. And if you're standing in them, you're going to take three damage. You can't do that. So you can, you got to be a little bit vague. But we, we weren't really talking to each other at all. There were things we could have done. Like when we opened up a, a room, we couldn't get to the creatures in the room even in the next go. And they were all archers. So we could have sort of taken taken a step back, had a long rest each, recouped and made them come to us, which would have been a lot more effective, but we didn't. We kind of stepped into the room. We were kind of cannon fodder for a, a couple of rounds and we just got a good, good slapping. We did. And, and then my attack modifier cards decided yeah, that actually <laughs> four on a bounce. Yeah, well, that's because some scenarios add things to your attack modifier cards and some equipment adds things and takes things away from attack modifier cards in the scenario we were on we had a few of those cursed cards cursed yeah which basically it's a one-off and nothing happens so all your attack is so wasted I'm, I'm walloping down my big attacks and, and i'm turning over these cursed yeah, cards like it's just, my job yeah, you were just pulling them. And then you, even when you'd run out of the, the cursed ones... My regular ones started coming out. Your regular one just came out literally two times, three times, three times in four. Yeah. So that was that was funny if I wasn't part of it. <laughs> <laughs> we yeah. laugh now. But I think that's cool because sometimes it ain't going to go your way. You're going to swing and you're going to miss. I know. What is gaming? It's supposed to be fun. <laughs> so let's talk about beyond the game. So upgrading the campaign style. I think the ability to tailor your character again is, is very important in this game. I think they, they do it very well. I think adding goods and equipment and you can change up your attack modifier deck. You can add in and take away your action cards and all of this. I think it really makes your character feel quite personal to you, especially once you start leveling up and you kind of build an attachment. Or is that just me? It's just you at the moment. You've not become attached to your tinker. I haven't become attached to my tinker, no. I see. I'm, I'm quite attached to my brute. What's your one called? Oh, I don't know. Oh, you're rubbish. Mine's Montour. Montour. <laughs> oh, because oh, you have to name it yourself, don't yeah, you? Yeah, of course you do. Oh, it's Vivica. Well, it's always Vivica. Well, there you go. Vivica the tinker. Montour. Montour. <laughs> Okay, so the thing is, I think, yes, it's a legacy game. You wouldn't necessarily know that, given that we've only played a few campaigns. I think it's starting to show. I think it's definitely I don't starting think it to show. Or maybe my character's just rubbish. But I think, you know, the only other legacy game that we've, that we've really played is Pandemic. And that moves very, very quickly. As you move from game to game, you can see the effects of the legacy. You definitely see the changes in the game rules and the changes in how you need to play. This, not so much. I've yet to understand. There are some stickers that you just put on your map, which I think 
denote that those sections are now open to you. But that seems to be a little bit pointless to me. They should have all just been on the map anyway. There are other stickers that you add to change your, the way your city behaves. And I think you, you put it on your cards and on your player boards to modify those and, that, and on your cards and to modify those. And that's absolutely fine. But again, some of it just seems to be a little bit needless. And because it is such a big game with more variation, it's going to take longer for you to travel through before you start to notice those legacy effects. Now, to go from level one to level two, you have to get 45 XP. Now, you ain't doing that in one campaign, maybe over three, maybe four, probably more like four. You're going to level up, which is when you start to see better cards come into your deck, etc, etc. So, yeah, whilst the legacy aspect is there, because we haven't played 10 campaigns, we're not seeing it yet. Right, OK. First money. off, the map, you are so wrong. You don't know what's out there. You're discovering things as you hear about them. You've obviously never played the, any of the Elder Scrolls or Skyrim. You don't know what's out there. You just see a barren wasteland. And then when you go exploring, oh, look, I found this little den and I found this castle. That's what it's all about. You're not going to know everything about the world that you've just been plonked into. So that's brilliant. I love it. I love that. Now, the, the stickers on the top, like, yeah, we've kind of seen some effects with them because they affect some of the road and city events. If the banner at the top is of a certain thing, then this happens or that happens. All right, fair enough. They, they don't make the most sense yet. But it's not a straight-up legacy, I think, as in Pandemic. I think it's certainly got legacy effects going on. I think it's hard. It's just a dungeon crawler with a storyline. Each to their own. I grow attached to my, to my characters in pretty much every game. I play a game of Eldritch Horror, I'm devastated. And Silas the Sailor gets killed. <laughs> Never got over that. And yeah, so that's the way I'm built. Natalie, I'm going to let you sum up on Gloomhaven. Now that I've finished wittering on. You have been wittering on I quite have. a few amount, but I it's have. a big game. It and it game. takes, and we didn't really touch on quite a lot of the stuff that's no, in haven't. there because no, we, we haven't really used it. No. And my final thoughts on the game is that the sheer breadth and depth of imagination that this took is something to behold. I mean, even if you are not a dungeon crawler person, and I'm not necessarily so, I can still appreciate the amount of work that went into this game it is stunning to behold you know when you have a look at your box and you've got all the bits laid out and the scenario book is you know three quarters of an inch thick it's fantastic and anybody who likes dungeons and dragons and and that role-playing kind of game you're gonna wet your pants because it really does kind of have such possibility for how how long you're going to be playing this game i'm sure this game is going to come out on our table for many years because we will be able to explore this world mm -hmm. that the designer has put together i'm quite excited even though i'm not a dungeon crawler person quite excited to see how it unfolds i'm quite surprised i didn't think you'd appreciate it this much I do, I appreciate it. I tell you, it's the action cards mechanism. I feel in most dungeon crawlers, you don't have a lot of true decisions that put you to something that you have to decide upon that affects your entire game. Whereas with the action cards, every decision you make with those suckers is going to change the outcome of your game. If you make one wrong call on using an action card, you've oh. affected your game. I think it has a lot of potential. Okay, so this game has variety in spades. It's in-game stories that you remember the innovative action selection system is a labor of love from a talented and more important a diligent designer this guy has really this has been play deep. tested oh he, yeah he's fantastic you just read his designer diaries on the kickstarter he's amazing 
big, big fan of Isaac Childress. Now, this is the new title holder for me in my quest to find that excellence in mixing a role-playing game and a board game together. I think it's a must for fans of Dungeon Crawlers. And as Natalie's probably just shown you, I think maybe even will tempt in those who haven't quite understood or got the love for Dungeon Crawlers. So in my opinion, Gloomhaven is a fabulous beast to behold in a terrible box. Okay, so there are three reviews. Join us after the break. there we have it we've had our our big boy and girl games i would like to thank you very much natalie for joining us and very ably stepping in for old silly head himself mr ronan thank you very much for having me in the vaunted pit well indeed smells a little bit better these days not really no i'm lying to you i'm lying to you right now you're lying to yourself Uh, it's uh it's fetid (laughs) (laughs) and yes himself will be back hopefully sober after his shenanigans in australia i believe he did pop along to a board game club or two hopefully he's represented us well and wasn't arrested again and (laughs) so yeah so we will be back next time with the continuing the top 50 i think we're going from 30 to 21 so we'll be over halfway in our countdown of our favorite games ever we've also got the uk games expo coming up we'll be doing a little preview of that and we'll be doing a show about that we've got lobster con coming up we've got so many things coming up and we're going to be doing shows about them all hopefully and yeah we'll see you then as always we are proud members of the dice town network go there for gaming goodness galore podcasts news items videos all sorts happening if you wish to download our episodes go to podbean stitcher and itunes we have a board game geek guild so pop along to the game pit podcast on board game geek and have a chat about a whole range of subjects we're always happy to chime in we also have a facebook page a twitter page at game pit podcast and we are on instagram if you wish to email us we're at the game pit podcast at gmail.com thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you next time music by my own boy boy thank you that's me boy